Thanks so much for doing this interview for Reader's Digest, Lee. Oh, it's a real pleasure. <laughs> Love that magazine. It was wonderful hearing you say that you, you know, you had a history with Reader's Digest with your grandma. Yeah, my grandma had a subscription, and every time we'd go up and visit, you know, every few months, we I would read through all her back issues, <laughs> and uh, you know, you learn a lot uh, from, from from that magazine. And then when I moved to the States, the first place we lived was pretty close to the World HQ of Reader's Digest, and oh, I was wow. invited over there a couple of times. Oh, and uh, because the Reader's Digest condensed editions have done me so much good as a, a kind of teaser or taster for people. Yeah. Uh, brought me a lot of readers that way. And we're actually going to be really releasing one of your books in the condensed edition yeah, as well, which is I, very I hope exciting. So. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about where you were born and raised and the impact that that's had on your writing. Well, I was born in uh, Coventry, England, which was famously uh, bombed, you know, in 1940 and uh, the city centre destroyed. Uh, we left there when I was uh, four and a half, but I can still remember the, uh, the devastation. And uh, even though, you know, I'm, I'm not that old, I was, my first memories are probably, uh, you know, 12 years after the war, right. um, it was still wrecked. And we would play, as kids, we would play in bombed out houses and stuff. I mean, now it would be impossible, but everybody would be worried about safety and yeah. so on. But we had a great time. Um, and then we moved to Birmingham, when, and that's where I really grew up. And Birmingham was uh, a manufacturing city. That mm -hmm. was the key to it. It was a place where people made things. And that totally informed my life in a lot of ways, in that you just get on with the work, you make your product, and you do it with, um, with skill and pride, but you, you make no fuss, you know, no fuss, no drama. It was that kind of a place. Right. And I think that was very influential on me, to be honest, in, in the sense of just get the work done. Um, yeah. Don't be a prima donna, just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, certainly not that. Yeah. And you say that you've never, you didn't dream of being an author, and you studied to be a lawyer, but you never practiced. Yeah, I, the lawyer thing, the law degree was completely accidental. Right. I was, uh, don't forget, this was early 1970s when um, youngsters were just having the greatest time. <laughs> and I, I finished high school, and then I immediately went on um, a long European hitchhiking trip with uh -huh. a bunch of friends. And I got back eventually late this, in September, and I thought, uh, oh, you know, maybe I should go to university. And I, I was way too late for yeah. the official applications procedure. So I just picked one more or less at random and gave him a call on the phone and said, uh, you know, I'd like to come. Do you have any vacancies? <laughs> and they said, well, what do you want to study? And I said, I don't know. What have you got? <laughs> and they said, we have a vacancy in the law department. Oh, and wow. I thought, yeah, I can do that. And... Uh, it was actually a brilliant degree to do if you do not want to be a lawyer. If you want to be a lawyer, then you're all worried about your, you know, how well are you doing, are you yeah. in the top of the class, and so on. Yeah. If you don't, you, you can ignore the parts that are boring, you can just study the parts that are interesting. Mm -hmm. And it really does set you up for life. You are instantly out of date because the law changes continuously. Yeah. So the day after you graduate, you're out of date, but the principles mm -hmm. stay with you. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great thing to carry through life. You sort of know what is true or not. You sort of know um, what people can get away with and what they can't. Yeah. And if you've got any kind of dispute with anybody, you sort of sense um, how to win or Mm -hmm. Is it worth it? And all that kind of mm -hmm. thing. So I really thoroughly recommend, even if you don't want to be a lawyer, <laughs> everybody should do a law degree. It's a really useful thing. 
I was interested that you you didn't create a legal drama, like you created mm. Jack Reacher's. Why did you decide not to? Well, partly because um, you know it's a. It, Suppose, you know, in, in your business, let's say the magazine business, mm -hmm. um, if you were going to start a new magazine, you wouldn't deliberately do what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. And there were some great legal thrillers around yeah. at the time. There was Scott yeah. Turow, there was John Grisham. Mm -hmm. uh, so why, why compete with those people? I wanted to do something that was different and distinctive. Yeah. I thought that would give me a better chance of finding an audience. Well, you certainly did that. Yeah. <laughs> so... I, I saw that you, you said that you wanted to be a Beatle when you were a child. Like, yeah. What else did you sort of dream about doing? Well, I mean, I just fell in love with the Beatles from the beginning for the, the joy and the mm -hmm. optimism. Because mm -hmm. um, England was, post-war England lasted a very long time. Uh, you know, it was still basically the same feeling right into the early 60s. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, for a kid, it was, it was dull. Mm -hmm. It was very boring. It was a grey, austere kind of feeling. And worse than that for us, for a little kid, the overwhelming sense was that history was over. Mm -hmm. The huge achievement was in the past. Mm -hmm. And I can't argue with that. You know, Britain's experience in World War II was intense and mm. very traumatic. And mm. winning World War II was a huge achievement. And it felt like everything was in the past. There was mm -hmm. nothing ahead. There was nothing for us. And then the Beatles came along with all that joy and, and optimism mm -hmm. and it felt, yes, there is something for us, you know, this yeah. is great. And I loved the joy of, in the audience, you know, mm -hmm. the passion in the audience and the obvious joy in the performers. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with the idea of doing something, anything that could create such joy in the consumer. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the, the, the plan with being in the Beatles had three problems. I was only nine years old. Um, they had no vacancies and I had no musical talent. <laughs> but the proposition was what I wanted, the uh -huh. idea that I could do something that other people would enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so I had to match my skills to what I could do. And, and it was backstage work at first, backstage mm -hmm. in the theater and then television and then writing. But mm -hmm. to me, it's all the same thing, you know, it's mm -hmm. somebody doing something that the audience is going to love, whether it's for five minutes for a pop song or whether it's for two hours mm -hmm. for a play or a TV show. And now, you know, we're writing the books, I think some people read them real quick. Uh -huh. Some people take two or three days uh -huh. or maybe a week. And the idea that you're doing something that gives somebody else happiness yeah. is irresistible to me. Yeah. So I heard that Paul McCartney has discussed song lyrics with you. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, you know, I, I contribute to, to various charities and so on, mm -hmm. and um, one of them, mostly animal charities, because I feel you know, animals deserve uh, a fair break if mm -hmm. possible, and so does he. And we met at a, um, we met at a charity ball, uh -huh. and uh, I was a hopeless fanboy, you know. I was just <laughs> like... And, uh, it's hard for him. I mean, it, I, I'm fascinated by his life because mm. he's been one of the most famous people on the planet for yeah. virtually all his life. Yeah. And what must that be like? Yeah. Um, and it, it's difficult for him. And uh, so we talked, but it wasn't really all that interesting because he's very guarded because mm -hmm. he's utterly aware mm. that anything he ever says is going to be mm. reported and Fair maybe enough. twisted and taken yeah. out of context, which yeah. I'm learning now, actually, <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, you can't say anything without it going straight on the internet and right. there's a million comments about it and so on. Yeah. So talking about that, like you've sort of the hot topic on the internet at the moment, talking about what's happening with Jack Reacher and Tom Cruise, not, yeah. not going on to do the television series. Yeah, well, I, you know, I love Tom Cruise. I think he's a great actor mm -hmm. and he's a, certainly a great guy. Um, we've had a lot of fun and, you know, there's a lot of nonsense about him in, in the press that just isn't true from mm -hmm. what I've seen. He's mm -hmm. just a regular guy, very yeah. hardworking. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. And I loved, I loved the first two movies. I thought they were terrific. Uh -huh. But ultimately, the readers uh, felt he was not an accurate representation mm -hmm. of Reacher. And I've got to defer to the readers. You know, mm -hmm. the readers are the most important people to me. And so, why was that? What were they saying? Well, he's too small. You uh -huh. know, he's, uh, Reacher is a huge, hulking, scary brute. Mm -hmm. If Reacher walks in the room, the temperature just drops a degree, mm -hmm. and people are a little, ooh. Yeah. you know, worried, yeah. Yeah. a huge physically intimidating man. And the readers felt that uh, Tom was not really communicating that. Mm -hmm. And so, like I say, my loyalty has to be, even though I love Tom as an actor and as a person, mm -hmm. my loyalty ultimately has to be with the reader. Mm -hmm. And so we are not going to do any more movies mm -hmm. with, with Tom Cruise. We're going to take it to binge-watching television. Great. Uh, long, long seasons for mm -hmm. each book and uh, a different actor. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to choose that actor? Well, I mean, I would love to see a, a complete unknown. Mm -hmm. And I would also love the readers to be involved. Mm -hmm. You know, having, they were dissatisfied with the first choice, so mm -hmm. now let them be involved in the second, second go-around, the reboot. Let's have them uh, participate, maybe suggest people, maybe mm -hmm. vote on a short list or something. Yeah. Well, they already are. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on the road, so I'm not really paying attention <laughs> to what's going on, but I'm sure that there must be a lot of suggestions by now. Yeah, there are yeah. a lot of people suggesting themselves. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine too. I would love an unknown, and if they are, if they're good enough, why not? Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, your life has been such an amazing second act you know it's just amazing like it's so inspirational like what's been the most surprising aspect of life after 40 for you well I mean clearly <laughs> this uh, this whole second career which mm. and I really feel uh, I'm glad if, if it's an inspiration to people mm. I'm really it glad is. about that yeah. because lots of people find themselves in the situation that I was where yeah. you know you faithfully, loyally, uh, you work for somebody and then you get kicked out. Mm -hmm. And that feels awful. Mm -hmm. I completely, you know, it's horrible. You're mm -hmm. 40 years old, you, you feel desperate. What and are you, you gonna do? You had a young do? child yeah, at yeah. yeah, we had a kid and we had all the stuff, you know, a mortgage and car loan and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing. What are you gonna do? So it's a very uh, miserable situation, but it's also, if you step back a pace, it's also quite, an inspiring opportunity mm -hmm. because when you're 40 you've been working for about half your career mm -hmm. and you've picked up skills and habits and discipline and you're not the wastrel you were when you were 20 mm -hmm. um, you're a different person and maybe you can use what you've learned to move forward mm -hmm. and so in a way it's a great opportunity it's probably the last time you can make a really radical change to mm -hmm. your life so I was um, I played a sort of psychological trick on myself because the chances actually of succeeding as a, as a popular writer 
are very small. Mm. But I just thought, well, obviously it'll work. <laughs> you know, I was, I, I was fooling myself yeah. in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. And um, it did work for me and it can work for lots of people. And I, I think people should not feel bad um, if they lose their job and have to do something else. It is your last chance to do what you really want to do. Mm. And I think actually lots of people make the most of that opportunity. Mm. And why do you think it was such a huge success for you? Because your first novel just went gangbusters. You know, yeah, I, I think that there were two, two fundamental reasons. One was that it had, I had to take mm -hmm. it seriously. You know, this wasn't like a hobby. Yeah. And it wasn't like a vague uh, desire. Yeah. It had to work because I was out of work. Mm -hmm. I was broke. It had to succeed. That was number one. And the other thing is, I think, uh, just about about me. It's not that, um, and I, I'm not falsely modest about it. I can write. I can mm -hmm. write yeah, well. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. But apart from that, I'm a completely ordinary person. Uh -huh. So that um, I'm an, I'm just a normal guy. And so whatever is in my head, whatever mm -hmm. is what I want, lots of other people want it too. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore, because I can write, I can communicate with huge numbers of people because I am them. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. So when do you think it's the best time to start writing a novel if you're going to? Honestly, I think, yeah, wait, just wait. Mm -hmm. And I find this very hard actually. For If you're asked to talk at a university or mm. something like that, and you've got all these 20 year olds who want to be writers. Mm. You can't really tell them because it's a, it's a very discouraging answer to just read for 20 years and then mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear that because, you know, they want to do it right now. But right. honestly, I think writing is, is, is not only something that you can do later in life, it's something that you should wait mm. until later in life, until mm. the gas tank is full, until you've seen things, until you know things, um, until you've got something to say, basically. Mm -hmm. So I hear you're a voracious reader, and uh -huh. obviously at Reader's Digest we love books. You know, why do you think it's so important for people to read? Because there is something fundamentally very different about reading than any other form of entertainment. Mm -hmm. If you are watching a movie or watching television or listening to music, intellectually you're just sitting there and it's coming at you. Mm -hmm. It's washing over you. Mm -hmm. With books, it's, you know, a book is, has these strange black marks mm -hmm. on white paper. Yeah. <laughs> and what happens is I put them down and then months later or years <laughs> later or, or even decades later, mm. maybe when the writer is dead, a reader scans their eye across these strange black marks yeah. and in their head a story appears mm -hmm. that is very similar to the story that the writer intended. Mm -hmm. But it's the, in the reader's head. The reader is doing the work, literally. The reader is burning their mental energy. Yeah. The reader is burning their calories. Yeah. The reader is creating the story. So it is a creative thing for the reader. Yeah. You're not just passively consuming something. You're interrogating mm -hmm. the text. You are creating the story mm -hmm. just as much as the writer is. Mm -hmm. And that's a very fundamentally different relationship mm -hmm. than any other form of entertainment. Mm. It's actually sort of custom made for you because you're going to interpret things the way you want to, and it feels like you're inventing the story, mm -hmm. which is um, active mm -hmm. rather than passive. Mm -hmm. And it does make a huge difference, I think, to your investment in the story and certainly your enjoyment of mm -hmm. the story. And what do you do to relax when you work, you're working so hard? Like, do you love to read? Oh, I love to read, to yeah. And, uh, you know, reading is actually part of my... Uh, 
it's sort of part of the whole process. It definitely mm -hmm. is. You can't write unless you're a big reader. Mm -hmm. And um, so I read all the time, literally. I probably read 300 books a year. Oh, wow. Uh, simply because I love it. So that's my main activity. And then my second main activity for re relaxing would be music. Mm -hmm. Love listening to music. And then my third would be uh, watching television or something. Uh -huh. So what kind of books, music and TV? Oh, any book, good? any book. I mean, I, I just love picking up a book at random. Mm -hmm. I've, I've read some weird books. Read a book <laughs> about the history of air conditioning. <laughs> I read a that is weird. <laughs> I read a book called Geometric Patterns in Medieval English Brickwork. Wow. You know, just, I just love <laughs> knowing stuff, finding stuff out. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there are great novels that, um, in my genre. I'm very lucky to uh, be at the top of the pole, but I mm. have to work like crazy because there's mm. a tsunami of talent mm. coming after me. Mm. There are some wonderful, wonderful new writers, especially women. This is the thing that I think is another thing that's amazing about writing is that actually uh, not only is it a level playing field for mm -hmm. men and women, but actually women are better than, than men. There are Why? some. I don't, I, I don't know. Is it historically because they have to work a little bit harder, you know, the mm -hmm. disadvantage that, that women feel in, in the marketplace? Is it better imagination? I don't know what it is, but uh, especially in my genre, women are great. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, look at the most successful writer of all time, J.K. Rowling, mm -hmm. you know, woman. It's, it's a really, it's a woman's medium. Do you and have a favorite writer? I got a lot of favorite writers. I mean, probably my, if you really push me, I would say my favorite writer of all time is William Styron, mm -hmm. who, um, you know, passed away a while ago and was very representative of that previous generation of really serious novelists. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I regret that that generation has passed. Another favorite of mine was E.L. Doctorow, mm -hmm. who um, luckily I got to know in the last, uh, 10 years of his life. And that is a generation that we may not see again somehow. I'm not sure that the so-called literary writers have got that same kind of substance anymore mm -hmm. than that they used to have. Mm -hmm. And I miss that, you know, those big, thick, substantial books mm. that we used to get you know, 30, 40 years ago. Mm. And what have been some of the most surreal and amazing moments in your career? Like, you know, you, Bill Clinton interviewed you recently. Well, that, that was, must have yeah. been like Well, that crazy. was... Uh, you know, Bill is, uh, he loves to read too. He's a huge reader and he, he's very Catholic in his tastes. He loves crime fiction and thrillers. Mm -hmm. And he's, already, he's always read my books and he, he sends a handwritten note usually uh, mm -hmm. saying what he thinks of the book. And what does he say? He, you know, he, he just loves what Reacher gets up to and right. all that kind of thing. And uh, it was surreal that he would interview me on stage mm. because when the first four books that I wrote, and the first three years that I lived in America, he was the president. Yeah, that's and, crazy. and now he's, sit, he's sitting where you are, um, interviewing me on stage. It was completely wow. surreal. Wow. Yeah. What, what other kind of things like that? Oh, there's, uh, you, you get to meet uh, other politicians. I've met, mm. uh, I, I met Obama like four times. Wow. And uh, other novelists, you know, serious heavyweight novelists and intellectuals. Mm. and and all this kind of stuff. And, and the, at the other end of the scale, you meet regular people. Mm -hmm. And some of those stories are really, really touching. Mm. There's something about Richard that brings together daughters and fathers. 
that's lovely. It is lovely. Yeah. I've had a lot of uh, a lot of letters from from women who say that they've somehow been able to forge a better relationship with their dad mm-hmm. because they read the books together and then talk about them. And then there's the really, really <coughs> sad ones where you get, uh, you know, sadly, because my career's gone on a long time now, you get letters that says, you know, my dad loved, um, my dad loved your books and he got sick and uh, it got us through the chemotherapy or whatever, oh, wow. or readings together and things like that. That's lovely. And you get messages like, I, you know, really sad, but what can you do? Like somebody will write and say, my dad is, is dying and he's desperate for the next book. Oh. So I send them an early copy. Oh, that's so sweet. It, it is. And then, you know, a month or so later, I get another letter saying um, he read it and oh. then he passed away. You know, it's wow. it, and to feel that you've somehow made a difference to somebody's life like that is a lovely thing. Yeah. Who do you think your most unusual like celebrity fan is that surprised you? I think I don't, Henry Winkler is a fan, you know, who played the Fonz. <laughs> you look a bit like the Fonz in your leather jacket. Yeah, that was, uh, that, that's, uh, and Gene Hackman, I met Gene Hackman the other night. Mm-hmm. He came along to an event. Um, you, you know, and I, like, I'm their fan, you know, they shouldn't yeah. be my fan. Yeah, do you like watch Happy Days when you were Oh, yeah, up? of course. It, it was, we ran it on television when I worked in oh, that you business. Did? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, when you're working, like, if someone walked into your office while you're writing, what would they see if they were sort of looking as a voyeur? They would see... My office is... I try and keep it clean and organised, but, mm. you know, as I get deeper into the book, it's usually chaos, mm. and uh, they would see the back of my head, and I'd either be typing with two fingers, <laughs> which because that's the only typing I can do, or more likely, actually, I'd be leaning back in the chair, scratching my head, trying to think, what is the next bit? <laughs> So going on that, what routines do you have when you're writing? Because I hear that you don't make a plan about what you're going to write. No, I never make a plan or an outline. Mm. I, I used to have a routine where when the first time I got the com- uh, a computer, it had a game on it called Minesweeper. Mm-hmm. And I would make myself uh, do the expert level in a certain number of seconds before mm-hmm. I would start a day's work. Mm-hmm. And that was a sort of ritual that somehow rinsed my mind clean and uh-huh. I would be ready to go. And my computer now doesn't have that on, so I have to do without it. So oh. I don't really have that many rituals, apart from I always start writing on the 1st of September. Uh-huh. Because that is when I started to write the very first book, 1st of September. Killing Floor, yeah. in 1997. Yeah, that, it came out in 97. I actually started it 1st of September 1994. Oh, okay. Because, you know, you finish it. I had it finished by halfway through 1995 and then it sold to a publisher and it takes a little while to filter through the system Mm -hmm. so it was uh, early in 97 that it finally came out Mm -hmm. do you have a a book or a movie that's had a huge impact on you personally a a what sorry a book or a film that's had a big impact on you personally um you know actually the literal answer to that is is a silly answer but when i was a kid i had a book about uh some explorers in the jungle Mm -hmm. and they Every morning they would tap their boots upside down to make sure there were no scorpions hiding oh, in them. Yeah. And I was so impressed by that, even though the chances of having scorpions in Birmingham <laughs> was very small. Quite small, yeah. I, I did that and I still do that now. It, oh. So something, that book has made me do something every single day for wow. the rest of my life. So I would say that that book has literally had the biggest impact. Do you remember what it was called? I do not. I have no idea. All I remember is that fragment. <laughs> I've been so impressed. 
wow, yeah, you don't want to put your foot in a boot that has a scorpion in it. It's probably quite a good motto for life, watch out for the scorpions. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, don't be too worried, but take sensible precautions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talking about Jack Reacher, because I mean, you literally have such passionate fans. Mm -hmm. They just love you. Um, and you must love your fans. Like, do you... Oh, absolutely. I love them all. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your latest blockbuster, Past Tense. Well, so Jack Reacher's on the quest to find his father's past. Like, is this sort of new territory for Reacher? Uh, well, like we said earlier, you know, I don't make a plan. I, it's not like I sit down and say, mm. okay, this book is going to be about mm. such and such a thing. But I just sit down and I try and write a good opening, a good mm -hmm. opening, even if it's just one line mm -hmm. or one paragraph. And then, so I did that in this book, and I, I mentioned two things in the first line, and I don't know why, because like I say, I just do it. Mm. I mentioned that he'd spent the end of the summer in Maine, mm -hmm. and then he was gonna head south to stay warm through the winter, mm -hmm. like the birds in the sky migrating south also. Yeah. And so I wrote that, and I thought, good, that's a good opening. Now, what does it mean? And uh -huh. the idea, two things. First of all, the birds in the sky. Earlier, in an earlier book, I had mentioned as a sort of humanizing factor that Reacher's dad was a bird watcher. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, I've written about birds there, so maybe this book is, about, is going to be about Reacher's dad. Mm -hmm. And then I had also mentioned Maine, and um, my friend Stephen King lives in Maine. Mm -hmm. So I thought, could I do a Stephen King kind of strand in this book, mm -hmm. maybe involving somebody else, so that we've got two stories. We've got a sort of creepy Stephen King type of strand, mm -hmm. and we've got Reacher looking for his dad type of strand, mm -hmm. and obviously they're going to meet towards the end of the book. So that was the the genesis of it and then it's just a question of keeping that going and i imagined that reacher would probably get involved quite early mm -hmm. to help out these people in in the creepy strand mm -hmm. but they were actually doing fine by themselves they kept <laughs> they were doing pretty good so i just let them in a way they took over the book i just let them do do what they needed and it wasn't until pretty much the very end mm -hmm. that they needed help from reacher oh okay yeah. so i mean you mentioned oh my friend stephen king you know what's it like when the two of you you know, two huge selling, two of the biggest selling writers in the world sort of get together and just have your normal friendship. What's that like? It's, uh, it's amazing, you know, and that's all part of the surreal experience because mm. obviously Stephen's been around forever and I've read him for years mm. and uh, the idea that, you know, we go to the baseball game together <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, and watch the Yankees or something. Well, he's a Red Sox fan. Oh, I and see. So, and that is, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox are the uh -huh. most bitter rivals. Yeah. Oh. So the <laughs> but you're still friends, though. Yeah, we are, but <laughs> friendship is tested on, the, on those evenings, that's for sure. That's over that, not over books. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, and, and the, every writer that you meet is a huge reader. And yeah. so that's generally speaking what you can uh, talk about, you know, and he, he'll, he'll email me, he'll call me and say, this is a great book uh -huh. and, and uh, have you read anything great? And I'll tell him what I've read and so on. Uh -huh. All writers just at, the, at heart are readers. Yeah. And we just love to find somebody new or great. Yeah. So with, with Jack Reacher, I think it's fascinating that we kind of don't still know that much about him. Like, you know, we, his mother was French. We know his favourite president was Harry Truman. We know he's kind of looking out to help people. But, you know, we don't know very much about him. Is that one of the reasons why people love him so much? Because he's mysterious? I think so. And also because he's, it's, that's sort of realistic. You know, mm. that's like real mm. life, that you can have 
very close friends. And I mean, even for past tense, I guess one of the inspirations was that uh, my dad, my own dad had died fairly mm -hmm. recently. And I was sort of ruminating a little bit. Obviously, you know, he's my dad. I've known mm -hmm. him all my life mm -hmm. by definition. But how closely did I really know him? Mm -hmm. You know, there must be secrets in his life mm -hmm. that were no nobody knew. Who, do we know anybody? A hundred percent. And the answer to that is no. You know, you, if you have a friend or even a partner, mm -hmm. uh, you find things out slowly. It's not like you go on a first date mm. and spend 12 hours reciting your entire mm. biography. We mm. do find out about each mm. other quite slowly. Well, you forget things that happened in your life as well sometimes. You I do, do, or you misremember <laughs> them, and I do that all the time. I, I have very clear memories of something happening, mm. and then I think, wait a minute, that can't be right, because we didn't live in that house yet, you know? <laughs> so memory's faulty and memory's selective, and people conceal things or they're shy about things, uh, especially, I think, our parents' generation mm -hmm. that were in World War II. Mm. You know, th there are things that they experienced that they didn't talk about afterward. Yeah. I mean, Jack finds himself in all sorts of impossible situations. Like, I remember once he was, like, trapped inside a storage bunker in South Dakota, hundreds of meters below ground, while there was explosions going on around him, and somehow he survived. Like, what's the most dangerous situation you think he's ever found himself in? I think it's in the second book where he uh, he's in a cave, and he is he, he sees that there's a passageway in the back of the cave that's mm -hmm. obviously going to lead somewhere significant. So he goes down it, but it gets narrower and narrower and narrower until mm -hmm. it's just a tiny crack in the rock, and he's basically stuck. Mm -hmm. And that is my particular horror, is mm -hmm. to be claustrophobia, not like getting in an elevator or something. I mean, that's fine. But yeah. the idea of being jammed somewhere where you can't actually move, that is a horror of mine. So I wrote that and it freaked me out and it freaked out a lot of readers <laughs> too. And like Reacher usually at the end of the book sort of slips off down another lonely highway. You know, do you think he'll ever find happiness? I hope so, and that is the central emotional tension inside Reacher, mm. I think, is that he loves his solitude, but mm. he worries about being lonely. Mm. And it's not his fault that he's left alone all the time, because he, he usually in most of the books, uh, he, he, you know, he hooks up with, with a woman and they mm. investigate together or something, and they mm. have a, a brief transient relationship. But mm. The sort of woman that Reacher really likes is a smart, strong, intelligent woman. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is the more intelligent the woman, the quicker she figures it out that this is great for a couple of days, but mm -hmm. it is not a long-term prospect. Mm -hmm. And so it's usually the woman that leaves, leaving mm -hmm. Reacher alone. And That's like I say, he worries about that. And so I would love him to, to find happiness, but that probably would be the end of the series. You right. know, if he settled down, bought a little house somewhere, got a dog, <laughs> you know, that, that would be the end of the series, wouldn't it? And do you, would you describe yourself as generally happy in life? Like what brings you happiness? Um, oh, I'm very happy in life, yeah, because I'm fulfilling what, what I've always wanted to do, which is mm. I'm making other people happy. Mm -hmm. uh, if I can do that. And books are so lovely in as much as nobody has to buy a book. Nobody, yeah. It's not like you're selling headache medicine or something. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody buys it out of distress. Mm -hmm. Nobody buys it in a bad situation. They buy it because they enjoy reading. Mm -hmm. And so it's all, it's all happy, it's all above the line. And so I'm, I'm participating in a, in a thing that makes people happy. I'm not earning money out of misery, mm -hmm. you know, which 
I think a lot of people do, and I don't know how, how that would feel. Yeah. You know, if you're a lawyer and you're dealing with, you're making a living by dealing with people who are getting divorced and so mm -hmm. on, that must be a miserable experience. Mm -hmm. And what do you, you have been very successful, like what do you sort of do to treat yourself? Like what, what's your biggest indulgence? Um, well, it's really, uh, it's an odd thing because for most writers, success comes pretty late in life. Mm -hmm. You know, like we said, I started when I was 40, and by the time I was, uh, you know, had any kind of real tangible success, I was, uh, you know, 50 odd. And by that point, you are who you are. Your mm -hmm. personality is fixed, mm -hmm. your tastes are fixed. What, you, what it achieves for you is that you realize that beforehand, you always have a slight worry you know, you're sort of worried about what bills the postman is mm -hmm. going to bring that day. Mm. Uh, you're sort of worried, have you got enough money to get through the next month? Everybody mm. understands that, I think. And then when you get some money, that goes away. You don't yeah. worry anymore. So I don't, uh, I don't really buy myself anything in particular. Uh, Clothes-wise, I, I dress really cheap. I wear cheap rubbish and because um, I'm not interested in that kind of thing. So I just spend what I need to spend and, and then I give the rest away. And that really makes me happy because you can help people in ways that just change their lives, mm -hmm. you know, especially education. Mm -hmm. I like to uh, do educational scholarships because there are so many people that uh, if they get an education, maybe if they go to college, it absolutely radically transforms their life. Mm -hmm. And of course, if, if they can't afford it, that is a miserable experience for them. They know what they want to do, but they just can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So I like to help them. Is that why you keep writing, even though you wouldn't, you could retire now and like well, not not have to? Partly that, but also partly for the readers. You mm -hmm. know, it used to be a financial contract that mm -hmm. I needed to make a living at the very start. Mm -hmm. Now it's an emotional contract. Yeah. The reader loves this guy. Yeah. The reader wants more stories, and so I feel like. I'm sort of duty bound to provide them. Yeah, and what's the sort of most unusual fan request you've had? Have you had anyone sort of pop out to try and <laughs> surprise <laughs> you to meet you or anything like that? Oh, there's lots. I mean, what's uh, what really has the most surprising thing? I think is, uh, you know, naturally we get asked to contribute to charity mm -hmm. things, and one of the things that uh, is always a big feature in a writer's life is charity auctions of mm -hmm. some kind. Mm -hmm. And what can you actually give, mm -hmm. you know, a signed first edition or something. Mm. But then somebody had the idea that what you could do is auction off the right to have your name as oh, a character great. in the book. Yeah. And, you know, this does not go to us. It's, for, it's on, on behalf of a charity, yeah, so it's great. And some people pay an absolute fortune to wow. have their name in the book or else the name of their mother or friend yeah. or something in the yeah. book. And that's a lovely thing too. Uh, so actually quite a few names in past tense oh. are charity winners. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. And look, you know, Jack's such a mysterious character. What's he going to do next? Well, I know what he's going to do for the first third of next year's book, because mm -hmm. I've already written that, mm -hmm. that far. Uh, how it's going to end up, I do not know. And <laughs> I, it's like real life. You don't know what's going to happen next. You just have to keep your fingers crossed and hope for the best. So you can't even give us any secrets, because you just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, don't know what the book's about until I finished it. <laughs> and with the TV series that you're going to 
do when it eventually happens. Like, are you going to try and do another cameo? Because it was oh, great sure. fun when you did the Alfred Hitchcock style cameos in the two Jack Reacher movies. It I'm going to do, fun. yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to try and be in every season. And uh, <laughs> also maybe we'll try and get some readers in as well. You know, that would be fun if there's a scene in a bar or something, maybe all the patrons can be, can be readers. Yeah. And I was, I was interested to read about that Lee Child is not your, the name that you were born right. with. Like, tell us a story about how you came up with that name. Well, I've always, you know, I've been, like I said, I've theatre and then television and so on. I've always been in show, what you could loosely call showbiz. Mm. And uh, it's very common for people to use pseudonyms. Yeah. And I've had to many times if I wanted to do something in a moonlighting sense. Mm -hmm. I've always had to invent uh, aliases in order to get around contracts and yeah. stuff like that. And so... It was natural to me to take a new name when, when I changed the career, new career, new name. And Lee Child came from, it's an old sentimental family thing from years ago that started out on a train mm -hmm. in America where uh, we were going, we were, we'd seen a Broadway show. We were going home to my wife's parents who lived a little bit outside the city. And that last train home is always crowded. So we weren't able to sit yeah. together. I was sitting with a, with a stranger who started talking to me. And when I answered, he noticed that my accent was foreign. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he said to me, I've got a European car. Yeah. And I said, really? Uh, <laughs> what car have you got? <laughs> and then back then, uh, this was in the 1970s, back then uh, Renault of France mm -hmm. sold cars in America. They no longer do, but they did back then. And the little car that in, uh, in Europe was called the Renault 5, mm -hmm. the little compact hatchback. In America, they marketed it as Le Car mm -hmm. in order to give it a kind of Parisian chic. Mm -hmm. But he mispronounced it. I said, what car have you got? He said, I've got Lee Car. <laughs> and so for, in a, and it's a universal truth that in all writers' households, there's endless wordplay. Yeah. So yeah. we uh, immediately started calling everything Lee this and Lee that. <laughs> And so when our kid was born, she was Lee Baby. And then when she grew up a little bit, she was Lee Child. And so when I, I decided to, to use a pseudonym for the writing, I thought that's a great one because quite apart from, you know, it's fun for us as a private joke, mm. it's, uh, it was a smart tactic because it comes early in the alphabet. Mm -hmm. And people browse in a bookstore from left to right and they mm -hmm. get bored and fatigued pretty quick. And so if you're there towards the beginning of the alphabet, you do much better. And is it true that... A lot of best-selling authors have last names starting with a C? It was at the time, yeah, because I checked it out, and um, a huge number, and I think it's still kind of true. In fact, I told this story just the other night to, um, at the publisher's dinner, and you know, the publishers have a lot mm -hmm. of analysts working, mm -hmm. so immediately this analyst mm -hmm. went away to check the situation right now. Mm -hmm. And it, it, right now, um, what did he find out? You got a sort of, uh, it's, it's more than eight times more likely you'll be a bestseller starting with C than with many, many other letters. That's crazy. It is crazy. That's insane. It is, but it, you can see how in a way, <laughs> can't you? And what's the thing you're most excited about? About next year? I, I've learned not to predict things, you know. I just, mm. something great will happen next year, no doubt. Mm. And, um, uh, the new book, you know, there'll be a new book next autumn and um, something fun will happen, I'm sure. Maybe involving music because I also released a music album. I listened to it. It's great fun. Yeah, That's really. It was really, really, really fun. And um, I wrote the lyrics and my musician mm -hmm. friends did the music. Mm -hmm. And I would sort of love to do a bit more of that. Yeah. So would that be your New Year's resolution or do you not make them? 
No, I never make a New Year's resolution. And how, how has your success sort of impacted your family? It's actually, that's a really interesting part of it because, um, again, you, the success came late in life. Mm. And I'd already been married for a very long time. And um, my wife knew me, you know, for what I was before. Mm. And mm. so for her, it's not a big deal. She's not a, you mm. know, it's like, it's not changed She's me like, at oh, all. Oh, it's just you. Oh, yes. Just you. Just my, yeah, just my husband. And my daughter. <laughs> My daughter was, uh, she was 15 when I started. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was that sort of glorious age where she just assumes, oh, dad'll fix it. You know, dad'll be all right. Yeah. And so it, there was never any tension in it for her. She just assumed it would work. Yeah. And um, to me, yeah, oh, dad, you know, she's just as um, contemptuous of a dad as most, she? most kids are. Yeah. <laughs> and what's the question that most fans ask you when they get the chance? Um, well, for the past many years, it's been about why did I choose Tom Cruise? Mm -hmm. And um, for, generally speaking, it is where do I get the ideas? Mm -hmm. Which is really an interesting question from a writer's point of view, because actually that's the one thing that separates a writer from a non-writer. Mm -hmm. Ideas are easy to get. Every day brings you 10 ideas. Mm -hmm. it's, mu it's not a question of where do you get the ideas, it's how do you choose mm -hmm. these one or two or three ideas out of hundreds. Mm -hmm. How do you select them for, to go into a book? Mm -hmm. That is the challenge because there are ideas everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, read the newspaper this morning, you're gonna get 10 ideas. But what you've got to pick, you've got to pick two or three that are going to work really well together mm -hmm. and also work next year when the mm -hmm. book comes out. Still be interesting next year. Mm -hmm. um, that's the art of it, is selecting the ideas, not finding them. And you've met so many interesting people. Who's the one person you haven't met that you'd love to still? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question, isn't it? Um, who would I love to meet? I don't know. I mean, I, I like the random randomness of it. I... Um, you know, Bill Clinton loves the books. Obama never read them. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was really interesting to me about that, he was courageous enough to admit that, mm -hmm. which is very unlike a politician, because mm -hmm. most politicians will fudge it. You know, yeah. they'll pretend to have read it, yeah. to be polite. Yeah. But Obama said to me, um, I'm sorry, I've never read them. I'm, I'm too busy. A bit busy, <laughs> a bit busy running the country. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Lee. It's just real been pleasure, wonderful. real pleasure. We love your books, huge fans. Well, thank you so much, <laughs> and I equally love the Reader's Digest. <laughs> thank you so much.